Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. I'm going to read it again, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, and Will is going to be preaching to us this evening on just one word, the word redemption, uh, that appears in our passage. Let's hear God's word together, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, page 976, 976 in the church Bible. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Amen. Now, freedom. Freedom is a word we uh, love, isn't it? I just want to be free. I... Uh, not long ago ended 10 days of isolation and, and walking out of the front door. I just wanted to shout out, I'm free! Um, uh, I did quietly. Uh, but it's, it's, it's in our politics, it's in our films. Teenagers want more freedom. Adults sometimes wish they had less uh, freedom. You know, any, any constraints in our world is bad, isn't it? Power is inherently wrong. It holds us back. Um, I've got to be free to be me. Uh, but what does that actually mean? You know, what, what does freedom really look like? I suppose the question is, what do we want freedom for? Now, that's a crazy question, surely, isn't it? What do we want freedom for? Freedom, freedom's for me. Isn't that the whole point of it? You know, to do what I want, to let my hair down, to, to reach my potential. Perhaps that's how a lot of us are, are thinking uh, right now. But, but God's word is here to, to recalibrate us tonight to redirect us in the right direction. Because uh, tonight we've got the last of our, our mini-series of four big Bible words. And tonight, as we said, it's redemption. Redemption, it sits there in uh, Ephesians 1 verse 7. If, I don't know if you noticed it. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. 
And redemption is, is a word that's all about freedom. Okay, redemption is the idea of being released through a payment. Okay, that's at its heart. It's a simple idea. Uh, imagine I'm a, I'm a Roman slave, say, someone comes along, he gives my master money to set me free. He pays a price and I'm redeemed. I've been set free. Now that's the picture, but what, what does that mean in our lives? Okay, how in reality uh, am I a slave? What does freedom really mean? Well, well, God's got a profound and important answer for us. But to start with, we've, we've got to remember the focus of what God's up to. Okay, remember 1 verse 10. It's a verse we keep coming back to. As a plan for the fullness of time, what's God's plan? It's to unite all things in him. That's in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. God, God is up to something big. He's making all things new. He's restoring this broken, this warring, this sin-filled uh, world into a place of peace and beauty and truth. A place of fullness and life. How? He's bringing everything under its rightful king. Jesus Christ, the true son of God. And if you remember, he's doing it through, through creating a new family. If you look back at verse 5, in love God predestined us for what? For adoption as sons through Jesus. God is putting together his new family, a family who are one, a family who have God as their father, Christ as their brother, the, the one spirit uniting them, a family living in peace and love, a love of God, a love for one another. This uh, is wholeness, fullness. This is the Bible's vision of freedom. Now that may sound a surprising word to choose as we've seen freedom for our society is all about doing what I want. How can freedom be living with someone else's king? Well, as we're going to see, it's because we've misunderstood what freedom really is. Freedom at its heart is living the best life, not whatever life. It's experiencing life. Choosing to live whatever life we like, actually that's the problem. Ironically, it enslaves us all the more because it's sin. Okay, and that's what we're going to think about. So God's got a plan, but we've got a serious problem. And we need to understand that first. And the problem is this, it's enslaving sin. Our enslaving sin. And the problem's right there in verse 7. You notice it's forgiveness of our trespasses, our trespasses. We need forgiveness of our trespasses. Now, it's not talking here about trespassing, okay, onto someone else's land. Okay, although that, that actually helps us understand what it does mean. When you trespass, you cross a line, don't you? You cross a boundary line onto someone else's land. That's what we mean. But with God, rather than crossing a line in the land, we're actually crossing a line of God's law. He's shown us how to live. Okay, on, on his side of the line, it's obedience, but it's love and it's peace. But on the, the other side of the line, as we cross it, it's going into sin and wickedness and rebellion. And our, our deep problem is that we've crossed the line. We've said, I want to do what I want to do. I'm free. We say, God, I know better. You're not God. I am. I'm going to step over. I'm going to do things my way. That, that's the heart of our problem. Yes, by God's 
grace, we can do good to each other. But there's a fundamental rebellion against God. It started in Adam and it's there in us all. It's shameful, it's guilty rebellion. If you think the heart of God's way is love, what's the summary of God's law? Love God, love other people. Glorifying God by loving him and what he's made. But in our sin, we turn everything inwards rather than outwards. It's to me, it's to my way, it's to my life. And what happens? Our rebellion enslaves us. That's why Paul's using this word redemption in verse 7. Because sin enslaves us, it entangles us. It's our enslaving sin. Now, often in the ancient world, people didn't end up in slavery necessarily because they're being kidnapped or because they're being traded, like in chattel slavery. Instead, they went into slavery because they were in major debt. They were bankrupt. They, they owed someone a huge amount of money. They couldn't pay it off, so they became their debtor's slave. And, and in, a, in a similar way, we owed God our utter obedience, perfect conformity to his law, his law of love. And then we chose our way and the debt rose and rose. Even our attempts to do good were were covered in pride and self-righteousness, still me-focused. What we thought was freedom was actually enslaving us. It was raising our debt all the more. Rather than becoming more human like we thought, we're free. We're actually becoming less human, enslaved. Now, it's important to remember um, our slavery to sin in this kind of biblical use of the word and, and our need for redemption. It's not quite a straight like for like with human slavery. It's a metaphor going on, okay? We are enslaved to sin and by sin, and yet somehow it's actually all in relation to, to God. We owe him the debt of obedience, and yet we're enslaved to sin. In our, in our trespasses, in our sin, we sold ourselves, we've sold ourselves into slavery. And I just want to pick out two ways we're enslaved, okay? Verse, firstly, uh, verse 7, if, if it says, as it says, we need forgiveness, then that means we're enslaved under guilt of sin. It's an unpayable guilt. Because sin is such a horrendous crime against the the Lord and Creator God, a death sentence stands over us. As Paul says elsewhere, the wages of sin is death. As, As God said in the Garden of Eden, when they ate the fruit of the tree, you will surely die. A death sentence stands over humanity. We're marked people. We're, we're guilty. Eternal judgment and wrath awaits us. A price. A price sits over us. And our, our debt to God is not just a couple of quid we owe a mate. Okay, it's trillions. It's cosmic rebellion. It, it can't, and it, and it can't just be wiped away. Okay, there's no justice there. Sin against God and against uh, others. Um, you know, if, if God just said, you know, no worries, no bother, you know, there's, there's, then there's no justice. Okay, a price, a price must be paid. That's the first way we're enslaved by sin. It puts an unpayable guilt over us. But secondly, our enslaving sin, it puts an unbreakable power over us. This imagery of slavery, it's, um, it's about a new master, a new obedience. Rather than being obedient to God, we're now obedient to sin. It's like we have invisible shackles on us. 
tight, metal clasps gripping our hands and our feet, large clanking chains between them. They, they hold us. They stop freedom of movement. There's no running, no jumping, no climbing. We're, we're tied. So we only do what sin wants. Sin is our master now. As Jesus puts it, we are slaves to sin. Enslaved by, by our sin and so enslaved to our sin. And we see this so clearly in our lives, don't we? Sin is so easy. It's amazing how easy it is to speak unkindly of someone. It's so much easier to be addicted to something wrong, isn't it? Like gossip, than it is to be addicted uh, to, the, to the right, speaking kindly of people. Our children, they don't need to be taught how to lie or steal, nor, nor did we. It's much easier to lose our temper at our children or immoral politicians than it is to show grace and charity. But it's important to say it's not only easier, it's that sin is much more powerful than that. It's actually enslaving us in what we want to do. Here we see the, the utterly entrapping nature of it all. Sin lies to us and it makes us think we're free because we're doing whatever we want to do. But we're not free. It's actually the opposite. Sin is so deeply enmeshed in us, we can't, what, we can't want what is good. All we do enslaves us all the more. Even our desires and wants are enslaved. We, we can't even want to do what's right and good. Even our best efforts are impure and self-focused and keep God out of the picture. This means we are trapped. Trapped in a dehumanizing cycle. I can't make myself righteous before God. I can't pay off the debt. I can't work my way back to God. I'm enslaved. An unpayable guilt and an unbreakable power. And we're all in the same boat. And this means even, even in the Christian life, there's no space for boasting, is there? No space for boasting or self-righteousness. By nature, this is our position. If you're not a Christian here this evening, I know it's been quite a serious beginning, hasn't it? But just take a moment and, and look at your life. Can you see the irony of it all? What you thought was freedom is actually just making the problem worse. Our enslaving sin. Humans, we're not living free as we think we are. Your neighbor who seems to do whatever he likes is not free. He has a price over his head and he has shackles on his wrists. So how are we meant to find freedom if God's plan is to be making a family with Christ as its head to his praise and glory? How are we to be there? Well, Praise God for the riches of his grace. There is redemption, verse 7. In him, that's in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. Well, how? Well, firstly, Jesus' death paid your price. Jesus' death paid your price. Paul is clear. Redemption comes through Jesus' blood. Being freed comes through the spilling of his blood. And in other words, his death. As Jesus was strung up on that cross, as his blood poured out on the ground, as he breathed his last, as his head hung limp, he was redeeming his people. He was paying what was owed to set his people free. God redeems us. He buys us out of slavery through Jesus' death. 
Remember, sitting over us is that debt of obedience and a guilt, a guilty death sentence. But yet Jesus, he was fully obedient. He did all that was required of people. He lived under God's law. He never crossed the line. He was always living in God's freedom. He was even obedient by heading to the cross. He was a full human obedience. But more than that, it's the obedience of the Son of God himself, made infinitely worthy in his divinity. And then he died a death that was sitting over us. His obedient life was poured out in death. That was the payment for us. That was the full price. Just as I said earlier, but for someone to be set free, to be redeemed, a payment is needed. And in a sense, it's a swap, okay? That the money is a substitute for the person. You know, in the owner's eyes, you give me the money, let's say a thousand pounds or something, and that takes the place of the human. The human is now free. It's one for the other. That's what's going on at the cross. Christ's death was for us. It was in our place. It's a substitution for us, not a a payment to sin, but to God, the one who is owed. What love this is. What a cost. God paid the price himself. God the Father sent the Son to pay for our enslaving sin. Don't set the Father against the Son here. The debt was owed to the Son as God just as much as to the Father. But the triune God is dealing with our debt or dealing with our debt. God took on flesh, faced the penalty for our sin, faced death and the punishment it deserved. This is extraordinary act of love for us. This is costly grace. A price was paid. A debt was owed and it was fully paid. This is, this is massive. Okay, this means justice is maintained. The debt that was owed was paid. But the guiltier pardon, verse 7, there's forgiveness. Forgiveness of our trespasses. If the price is paid, then the guilty can go free. God the judge is God the redeemer. Jesus' death paid your price. Charles Spurgeon, near the end of his life, put it like this. My theology is very simple. I can express it in a few words, and they are enough to die by. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. This this means guilt no longer sits over us as God's people. It's gone. Forgiveness of our trespasses is, is real. They've been wiped away, not because they don't matter. No, they do, but they're, they're wiped away because the price has been paid. Death no longer hangs over us in the same way. Yes, we will die physically one day, but Christ has paid the eternal penalty. Eternal separation from God's goodness has, has gone. If you're in Christ this evening, if you're a believer in him, you are free today. You've been redeemed, free from the guilt. That means your past, your present, your future sin, whatever it is, it does not pronounce any guilt over you. The price is, price is fully paid, done, complete. Jesus said, it is finished. And this is truly freeing because it means your life isn't one of, have I done enough? You don't owe God payment. You're not still paying off your uh, debt of sin to God. 
Okay, Don't punish yourself for sins so that you try and get back into God's good books. That's making a mockery of Jesus' death. It's being enslaved again. In the film Saving Private Ryan, Ryan, a soldier, is, is saved at the cost of many other lives. And there's a deeply moving bit when one of the soldiers says to him, earn this, earn this. In other words, pay back all that was spent on your behalf. Well, that is not God's way. He doesn't say to you, Jesus died for you, so earn it. No way. He says, Jesus died for you because you could never earn this. So stop trying to. You can't pay money for your sin. You can't do extra good making up for it. Praying won't increase God's love for you. Making yourself feel bad or causing yourself pain won't make God look more favorably on you. No, he's paid for your freedom. He showered you with blessing. You're part of his family. He's lavished the riches of his grace upon you. He can't love you more than he already does. So don't live as slaves when you're free. A child of God in Christ. This means our lives today don't fluctuate okay, from innocent to guilty and then back to innocent again. When you sin, you haven't gone back to guilty and then you pray for forgiveness and then you're innocent again. Now, if you're trusting in Jesus with your life, your status doesn't change. So tomorrow, let's say you, you open up your computer and you, you end up looking at porn again. Okay, You're gutted. You know you've done wrong. You, you shut the computer in frustration. Now, if you're with Jesus, then the price has been paid for your sin. So don't hide from God. You can still pray. Come to God as your Father. Acknowledge what you've done. But don't try and twist his arm to forgive you. Instead, hear him say, of course I forgive you. I've already forgiven you. My son died for you. Be free. So you don't need to make rash promises trying to pay for it. I'm never going to do that again. I'll, I'll get to church this Sunday to pay for it. I'll be kind to my sister. No, do those things because they're good to do. Not because of your sin. You're free from the debt of guilt. You're redeemed. Don't live as slaves again. May a burden this evening be lifted from your heart. Jesus' death has paid your price. Isn't this glorious news? What a redemption. But there's more. Jesus' death has also shredded your shackles. Jesus' death has shredded your shackles. When Paul says you have forgiveness of your trespasses, God's power goes further than just wiping away the guilt. It reaches even into the power of sin itself. And for this, we're going to turn to another uh, passage of Scripture to see what he's done. If you could just turn to Romans chapter 6. That's page 942. Romans chapter 6, page 942. And I'll just read verses 1 to 8. Okay, this is coming in a, a long argument, but it um, has lots for us. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? 
We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. But if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. Okay, now there's a, there's a lot going on here, which is, which is often the way with Paul in Romans. But, but he's engaging with this idea, if I'm forgiven, if my guilt is completely paid for, does that mean I can just keep on sinning? And the answer, verse, uh, verse 2, is by no means. Now, why? Well, it's because of something that happens to us in Jesus, okay? Because Jesus has died and because we're united to Jesus, it means in some way we've died with him. Verse 4, do you notice we've been buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him. Verse 8, now, if we've died with Christ, You see, okay, Jesus died for us, yes, but because we're united to him, we've actually died with Jesus. Okay, he's not only our substitute, he's our representative. What happens to him happens to us. Think of it perhaps like a country leader. Okay, when a a prime minister or something says we're going to war, the whole country goes to war. Or when a parent says fine, but in a sense the whole family is fine. Or perhaps think of Jesus like a giant. Okay, he's huge. His his foot perhaps fills this building, and and on his belt are massive loops, and and people are strapped onto the loops. And where where Jesus goes, the people goes. Where the giant goes, the giant goes to Edinburgh. We go to Edinburgh. What happens to the giant happens to us. And and here, when Jesus dies, every one of his people, in a sense, dies with him. And that death means something has happened to our enslaving sin. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Okay, what's the picture here? It's, the, it's a, the slave again, shackled and held, but the slave dies. And if they're dead, then the shackles fall off. They sound obvious, but they're, they're no longer slaves because they're dead. And they're free of being a slave. And since Jesus died, we died with him. And get this, that means we're no longer slaves. Our shackles fall off. That old way of life, our life that was enslaved by sin, it's died. It's in the ground. It's buried. This is the loving power of Jesus. His death shredded the shackles, those enslaving shackles. The power of sin is destroyed. You've been redeemed from the power of sin. My my chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. It's glorious. We're rescued. This means sin does not control you like it once did. 
Yes, it still lingers because our full death and resurrection awaits, but it's not the master anymore. It doesn't have us chained. Our desire is no longer just a a self-focused and in rebellion to God. We aren't being more and more enslaved. Isn't this amazing? And it it doesn't end there. We're not just dead stuck in the ground, verse 4. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And that means he brings us spiritually alive with him. The new creation, it started in you and in me. We have a new life to live. A a life not of slavery to sin, but a life of freedom in Jesus. Living united in him. We're not just free from the shackles of sin. We've been bought for freedom. Bought for a good life. Perhaps think of it like a... A slave man, okay, who marries another slave and somehow he wins his freedom. He's free, but his wife is still a slave. He works and he works and he raises the money to buy her freedom. He redeems her. And when she's redeemed, she she doesn't go, oh, thanks, mate. Yeah, I'm going to go off and and find another guy. I'm actually going to go off and be a prostitute slave again. No, she's free to be his wife. She can now enjoy a wonderful marriage with him, redeemed for something good. Jesus didn't pay the price so that so we just do whatever and go back to being slaves to sin. No, he, he destroys the power of sin so we might have a wonderful life of freedom with him. We have a newness of life with him. Remember, God is bringing everything under Christ. He's bringing us into his family. Now, our society hates this idea, okay? We want freedom to be free from anyone and everyone. It's like the the old film, The Truman Show. It's a, a great film about a man stuck in a TV show. And he's trying to break free from the show's director, not so subtly named Christoph. And what's the message? To be free, to be truly free, you need to break free from your creator. Do what you like. But if we think that, then we've missed the point. We've missed the whole point. It's doing what we wanted, if remember, that got us in the mess in the first place. It's our breaking free from our creator that enslaved us. To be truly free, we live under our creator. To live with him in charge. Christ's death has shredded the shackles so we can be free. Okay, This means, you and me, we don't have to sin. We don't have to choose destructive pathways. It means you you don't have to always be addicted to drink or lying to those closest to you. You're not stuck in an endless rut. Anger doesn't always need to be part of your relationships. You don't need to be irritable always when you're tired or hungry. Instead, we can choose what is good and true and right. The shackles have been shredded. Jesus is alive. We have newness of life by God's spirit. We can change by his power, by his strength. Now that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect this side of Jesus' return. Our sin is more pervasive than you can imagine. But it does mean we can get rid of more and more of it. And we can want to get rid of it too. Each day we pray, lead us not into temptation. 
but deliver us from evil. And that includes being delivered from our old selves. They've died. We're risen with Jesus. So perhaps this evening, just just think about a sin you're battling with at the moment. Think about it now. Well, thank Jesus. He is more powerful than that sin. He has shredded its shackles. And then ask for help. Ask for wisdom in how to avoid it. Ask for strength when the temptation is most fierce. And ask that love and joy and peace would grow in its place. Now it might be a quick change. It might take years. But remember your, your guilt is gone. You're free to slowly change. To be more like Christ. Free to live in step with God's plan. Uniting all things in Jesus Christ. And if this evening you know nothing of this freedom. Nothing of freedom from guilt and and sin. Come to Jesus this evening. Freedom is waiting for you. Don't delay. Redemption is found in Jesus. It's done by him, in him, and for him. It's the riches of God's grace lavished upon us. Amen.